Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This week's episode of Mission Log was recorded prior to the SAG-AFTRA strike guidelines relating to rewatch and companion podcasts. Roddenberry Entertainment stands in solidarity with creative professionals. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by HelloFresh. Go to hellofresh.com slash missionlog50 and use code missionlog 50 for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash MissionLog50 and use code MissionLog50 for 50% off plus free shipping from America's number one meal kit. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 503, The Gift. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we examine an episode of Star Trek, looking beyond the subatomic level, for any morals, meanings, or messages contained in the vastness therein, and seeing if it brings the fire by withstanding the test of time. This week, The Gift. The one where Cass is faced with a life-altering decision, while Janeway tries to convince Seven of Nine that she is one of them. John will be back with trivia in a moment, but first, here's how you can reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com, and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform, and please remember your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. Hey, before I get to trivia, Norman, just a quick thank you again for mentioning, as we always do, that Mission Log is a conversation. Sure, you and I are having a conversation right now, but the conversation continues on our Discord channel, and you get to Discord through our Patreon membership, patreon.com slash missionlog, because I love how our Discord has taken off. I can check in anytime, 24-7, and there are people, our friends, our Mission Log community, chatting about the topics that we discuss, chatting about, oh, the pre-show and the value-added material that not everybody gets to hear, and then carrying on with live chats every week uh, on video. So if you want to join that, it's kind of like a... For those of you who haven't done it, kind of like a big Zoom meeting, uh, I described it as like a book club for Star Trek. We get together, <laughs> we talk about that week's episode of Mission Log, but then it goes beyond that. Babylon 5, Twilight Zone, even Contiki, which is great because you get to chat about real world meetups and conventions. Mm -hmm. We've also started a new channel for our international fans and subscribers and friends so that they have the opportunity to get together in their respective time zones so that they also have the ability to talk about Star Trek and their fandom their way uh, in a more convenient time. So thank you, everyone who uh, on Discord has supported 
our movement to make sure that we support our international friends and fans in that way. So thank you to everybody who has joined us recently. Shout out to Gary, Eleanor, Brent, Becca, Dr. Muhammad Noor, and Stuart. And if you would like to join them and us on our Discord, you can do so through patreon.com slash mission log. And now here's John Champion with this week's trivia. All right. Trivia for the gift. The sole writing credit goes to Joe Minoski, and that makes a lot of sense because he's been a part of the process in getting us from season three to four and uh, partnered with Brennan Braga. However, we also know that a sole writing credit is very rarely the complete story. Brian Fuller was relatively new on the scene at this time, having pitched to DS9 and Voyager, and this episode was seen as a little bit of a test for the freelancer before bringing him on to the staff. Brannon approached him about Kess, what to do with a character who was being written off the show. So it was Brian who came up with the idea, but the production order was changed, and his ideas were absorbed when the writing of that script was fast-tracked over to Joe. The episode that we're covering today was intended to be fifth in the season, but a number of reasons, including Jennifer Lean's availability, required it to be swapped over to episode two. It was directed by Anson Williams, of course, Happy Days cast alumnus turned director. Anson was spending a little time between Voyager and then into DS9. The first of his entries was Real Life that we covered very recently, and he'll wrap up his time here on Voyager with two more episodes. And let's meet our guest stars. Well, this is a pretty short segment because we don't have any. But this episode completes the transition from Voyager, also starring Jennifer Lean, as we pointed out this week, to co-starring Jerry Ryan. A gift? For me? Really? You shouldn't have. Make sure you kept the receipt, just in case. Prologue. When we left off, Voyager had a new guest, a formerly human Borg named Seven of Nine, and a whole lot of leftover Borg tech. Now, Seven has been woken up, and she's aware that she's no longer part of the Borg collective. This does not sit well with her. But Captain Janeway won't budge on the demand to rejoin the collective. As Seven becomes agitated and her demands grow stronger, the doctor steps in to say that her human cells are regenerating too fast. She needs to stay under his care. Finally, Tuvok administers sedative. Act 1. Seven is being attended to by the doctor. Her condition is indeed complicated, with the human immune system rejecting the Borg tech. At the same time, Kess is having some interesting issues of her own, like telepathic and telekinetic activity off the charts. That will bear some looking into. Janeway has her own concerns. Borg tech is being removed from the ship. Some of it is impeding warp drive, but more concerning now is that Seven's condition is worsening, prompting the captain to make an important medical decision with the doctor. The only way to save Seven is to completely remove the Borg technology from her body, a procedure to which she did not consent. 
Janeway gives the go-ahead, though, and as the doctor begins, Seven's involuntary reactions put her at greater risk as she lays on the examination bed convulsing. Kess steps in, though, as the doctor is at a loss, and she does something quite unexpected. She sees in her mind a Borg implant affecting Seven's trochlear nerve, and then, to the doctor's astonishment, dissolves it telekinetically. Act 2. Kess's new abilities raise the interest of Janeway and Tuvok, and he steps back into mentor role to help her navigate the changes. The doctor's work continues with Seven, including a new artificial eye with some tech enhancements. Janeway asks to speak with her, and Seven is awakened. Accepting her current reality that Seven is a singular being with a singular mind is difficult to the point of being painful, but Janeway levels with her. As traumatic as separating from the Collective is, the crew of Voyager need her, and here she will be a part of a kind of Collective if she cooperates. And she can start by helping to get rid of some of the Borg modifications on the ship, which she does. Checking back in on Tuvok and Kess, he is guiding her through a mental exercise in which she is truly exceeding her mentor, literally seeing new planes of existence at the subatomic level. On a similar note, Seven is shattering Harry Kim's mind with tales of transmaterial energy planes while they remove Borg tech from engineering. But the cooperation ends abruptly when Seven seizes the chance to hotwire a subspace communications node in an attempt to contact her people. She knocks out Kim and establishes a force field, but word travels quickly around Voyager and it's Cass who senses the disturbance. While no one else can get near Seven, Cass manages to telekinetically warp the force field and Voyager's bulkheads and send a shock to Seven, knocking her unconscious. Act 3. In addition to the immediate security risk of a Borg who tried to contact the Collective, Tuvok lets Janeway know that they really need to consider Kess, who is becoming powerful enough to bend the very fabric of the universe. But first, Janeway needs to visit Seven, who's in the brig. They have opposing objectives here. Janeway to protect Voyager, and Seven to return to the Collective. It's also a matter of choice. When Seven points out the illogic of Janeway offering freedom as an individual while keeping her under lock and key. But Janeway says the Borg took away Seven's ability to make a rational choice when they assimilated her. When she has regained that capacity, then she can decide to contact them. Hey, have we heard from Neelix in a while? Where's Neelix? Oh, yeah, he's in the mess hall. Alone with Kess, sipping a glass of champagne to celebrate her... What, exactly? Kess explains that she's changing, garnering the ability to see the interplay of matter and energy on a subatomic level. Oh, but she still loves and appreciates Neelix for the time they spent together. As she describes what's going on, her thoughts open up an energy field at the very table where they sit warping and destabilizing Voyager's physical structure. When the disturbance is picked up on the bridge, Janeway and Tuvok run down to the mess hall to find that Neelix has been thrown from his chair and Cass is glowing, phasing in and out of material existence. Act 4. 
The doctor is at a loss for what's happening to Kess, but Janeway and Tuvok are both concerned that the next incident could damage Voyager. Out of concern, Kess stays in sickbay to try to assist the doctor's research. And Seven is still in the brig, growing more and more frustrated, throwing herself at the force field. When Janeway comes in to check on her, Seven is in a crisis, alone with her own thoughts instead of the collective's. When Janeway approaches, Seven threatens her, but the captain walks into a cell with a pad and an image of the human girl, Annika Hansen, that Seven used to be. Did she have siblings? Where did she go to school? What was her favorite color? It's painful for Seven to confront the lack of memories of her humanity, and she slaps the pad from Janeway's hands. But as Seven loses her balance, Janeway is there to gently catch her before she falls. Act 5. Kess is in a reflective mood in her quarters when she is visited by Janeway, and the news is interesting. Kess is convinced that she is transforming into someone, something different than she was when she joined Voyager. She says it's time for her to leave. Janeway is saddened by the news and says that she doesn't want to let her go. But Kess reinforces that she needs to see this transformation through, and she's in her right mind to do it. The two embrace, and Janeway says she'll miss her friend. At that moment, Cass starts to phase again, and those subatomic changes cause more damage to the ship around her. It's time to get off Voyager, not just for her sake, but for the safety of the crew. In a rush, Janeway escorts Cass to the shuttle bay, avoiding the rapidly destabilizing parts of the ship around them. Their route becomes more dangerous, literally exploding around them, and Tuvok appears in time to try a quick mind meld to calm Kess. It works enough to get Kess on a shuttle and launched away from Voyager. As the shuttle with Kess in it flies away, her body phases in and out of material existence again, the very atomic structure of her body disconnecting. But a last gesture, which she says is a gift to Voyager, brings the warp core back online at unheard-of power. Voyager shoots across the Delta Quadrant, some 9,000 light-years from where they were a moment ago, and away from Borg space. Speaking of Borg, Seven is back in the converted cargo bay, too. The Doctor enters with Janeway to show his work. He removed... 82% of Seven's Borg hardware, and even gave her a full head of hair. She'll still need to regenerate in a Borg alcove, but she's a far cry closer to human than she was. She promises not to try to contact the Collective again, and then she says, Red. The girl in the photo that Janeway showed her, her favorite color was red. Elsewhere on Voyager, Tuvok lights his meditation lamp and stares out a window remembering his friend Cass. The end. What a gift that you gave us, John, in the form of that recap. And you know what? And I didn't even charge you the price, which is the episode I kept confusing in my head. So thank you. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, here we go. Let's, uh, I got to say, man, from the very beginning, this is what I want to see. Uh, we end a huge epic two-parter, and then we just pick up the story with episode three like it actually happened and that there is consequence. I, I know that between this show, between Mission Log and Mission Log Live, which we, we do not jump the timeline, but 
for those of you who are aware of Mission Log Live, and you should be listening where we talk about modern Trek, and we kind of debate you know, the pros and the cons of a serialized show versus an episodic show. This is a moment where an episodic show, I think, does a really good job of continuing at least a little bit of serialized storytelling. I really liked seeing the Borg plating uh, on Voyager at the beginning. It just felt like, okay, this is like the next day or after a few days. Mm -hmm. Because it's not hard serialization. It is soft serialization, Mm -hmm. but it does give you the stakes of what Mm -hmm. Voyagers kind of came through. They didn't come through squeaky clean. There obviously were scars in the form of so many different facets, including, you know, externally on Voyager. Uh, But here's one thing I thought was a little strange. Seven's point of view Mm -hmm. with the fisheye lens effect. I was Mm. thinking that Borg Borg point of view vision with their implants would be better than that. You know, that is a really good point. I feel like in the 90s, well, honestly, starting with the 80s with Terminator, I feel like that has become shorthand for the audience, that this is robot or cybernetic POV. And what we really need is like a modern version of that that says, no, 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 this is so much better. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That would be Mm -hmm. cool. But I did ask myself, okay, I understand that the engine has problems, but why strip off Borg armor or anything else? They should be salvaging that stuff. and examining it for what tech would benefit them if they happen to run into the Borg in the future. Just like, I mean, we know for a fact, just like they kept the translocator device, they kept that personal cloaking device, right? 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 Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah. I'm right. right. I have to be right on this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Also, well, okay, so devil's advocate that. Uh, before they get thrown way past Borg space, thanks to Kess's yeah. gift, perhaps yes. there are energy signatures that are resonating from Borg technology that are like homing beacons. Okay. Maybe. Good point. Good point. Good point. You know? Yeah. But here's something even more than that that I was far more concerned with, and that yeah. was how dark Chakotay's hair got in this episode. <laughs> you th- I mean, you, you he- think, you, yeah, you think we jumped a season, and in that season, he's like, hey, uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to touch up this look a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the 24th century version of, like, Grecian formula for men. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he took. It didn't It didn't make him look younger. It just made his hair look darker. Yeah, look darker. That's all. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I really like the shout-out to DS4, uh, because I believe we have heard uh, that mentioned before in Star Trek. And it's very interesting, the hint that we're getting here about Annika Hansen's parents, because they seem problematic <laughs> you mm-hmm. know um i i hope to revisit that at some point is ds4 is that tarok 4 is that what it <laughs> that, that, that's it that's it exactly okay yeah. Tarok. And, and it's just kind of at an angle that's exactly that's, <laughs> yeah, that's how you know it's different yeah yeah with the uh the background with uh the hansons and the omega sector i really kind of perked up i'm like omega sector yeah. what is that yeah Ooh. yeah and everone in the audience is like Oh, you don't know the Omega Sector? No, folks, no, I don't. We don't. You know why? Because I haven't seen this yet. Exactly. So, exactly. all right. Sorry. I love the interplay between Tuvok and the Doctor while they're in sickbay, with Tuvok just physically getting in his way and the little the little back and forth they have. It, it, it's nice kind of classically Star Trek stuff. Their shade throwing was yes, epic. It was great. In this episode. I mean, it, it, it's shade. It is shades of, like, McCoy and Spock. You know, totally. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, that was fantastic. And Tim and, and, and Robert, they're oh, on their game. Killing you know? it. Killing it. So snappy. Yeah. So there's great close up 
of uh, say Seven's makeup and the Borg implant design when like the doctor's removing the skull plating you can see like pinch points in the skin yes and the modeling you know and the discoloration because it's been what never since she's seen the sun yeah uh, when she was transformed it very much reminded me of like the Cenobites from Hellraiser. And yes. I'm wondering if... Remember oh. we talked about, um, in, either in Scorpion 1 and 2, when the Borg has... They've undergone kind of like this production-level transformation where it was just like black tights and white paint. Yeah. And now it's this fully kind of like mottled skin tone and yes. kind of like sliminess and there's a texture to it. I really, really like that. It, it gives the Borg more of an organic... Like that bioorganic mm-hmm. feel, you know, that... That's supposed to be, I guess. Well, and I like how it changes over time. Like, like the 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 tone, the color in her skin. Like right. we see the pieces coming off, and like, ooh, there is something under there. This is a different thing to deal with. And it was interesting to see in the trivia that you know when she was in the like, none of it's easy on Jerry Ryan. Like, even when you get to the end, like that is still mm-hmm. not an easy costume to get into. But it is interesting that okay, either you're full Borg or your full end of the episode seven of nine, mm-hmm. those two things are kind of set pieces. All the stuff in between where they have to create all these seams and, and the little, you know, micro sutures and things like that was the really difficult part to do because there's so much additional detail. And watching uh, her skin tone gradually go from this grayish, you know, modeled effect to almost so a fleshy cool. tone. So yeah. cool. Yeah. Very, very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, also smart. And, and maybe... Maybe this was purposely done uh, to to show Kessa's transformation since Cold Fire, but a lot of bookending to Cold Fire and yeah. what she was unable to do then and basically lighting everyone on fire yeah. and what she's able to do now, which is essentially thinking about pinpoint manipulation yeah. at the subatomic level. Yeah. Bring the fire, Norm. Bring the fire. I think you'll bring the fire later. All right. too. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. I love Seven's artificial eye that uh, that the doctor is working on. It, it that had shades mm-hmm. of like Six Million Dollar Man to me. I, it just seeing the, the the prop and hearing him talk about it, I thought it was cool. I also thought at this point, Kess can do so much more than Tuvok. Like, what makes him think he can help? <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, I'll yeah. step in. I'll 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 mentor her. Like, dude, you are out of your league. Yeah, this is. It's kind of like if uh, you're playing the home game. It's like Professor X and Jean Grey. At one point in time, she was the student. <laughs> yes. Now I now am the master. Nice, right? so, nicely yeah, said. A little bit like yeah. that. I really do like the smile that, that Janeway kind of shines towards Kess when, you know, when she accepts Tuvok, his mentorship of her. Yeah. She's like, oh, you're growing. I just don't know what into, but I'm yeah. going to smile anyway. Yes. Because this is fantastic and terrifying yes. at the same time. Yes. Yeah. And in an episode that has a lot of strong individual scenes, uh, while we're still in sickbay here, really strong scene between Seven and Janeway while Seven pushes back on the idea yeah. of saving her life. Like, uh, just great dialogue, great drama between these two actors. And and I love the doctor's like misplaced satisfaction with him. So like he's ready to get in his <laughs> self aggrandizement and he's like, mm-hmm. Oh no no no, I should walk away. He got it, finally. I mean I did mention uh at this this point in time in the episode, I did mention kind of uh Seven's the pigmentation of her skin changing thanks to the makeup department. Yeah. But I also want to um point out that the the implant that covers her Borg implanted eye. Yes. I mean that's also really very well done. Oh, yeah. I, she's really acting a lot through her one eye, her yeah. one actual organic eye. Yeah. But everything around her, you know, all the implants, 
they're very well done from a production and, oh my and makeup God. level. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But the question I want to ask with what's going on with Kess and, you know, the, the energy effects that are affecting her and her ability to see things that no one else can see. If you know that reference, mm-hmm. email me and I will give you an applause for that. <laughs> Is she becoming a traveler, being able to see into the subatomic plane? I, that would be interesting to know. She, look, if she does, if you can say hi to Wesley for us, that would be great. True enough. Yeah. yeah. So Janeway says to Seven, and I love callbacks in this episode. There's so yeah. many and they're so well done. She says, you have some of the unity mm. you require here on Voyager. Golf clap. Golf clap. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, mm. And I, I don't want this to be something that was written by coincidence. I want, I don't know where to find this reference wise, but I really like to know if this was a specific reference back to unity, you know, where Seven would have been just like Riley Frazier if she were freed and then just have her yeah. board implants removed over time. Yeah. I, I love that connection. Yeah. Speaking who, who doesn't have either unity or harmony with yeah. his game, that would be Harry Kim. Talking to, well, pretty much any woman, but especially Seven. <laughs> especially? At oh, my God. Yes. Hilarious. I feel for Harry. Yeah, I, so, I do, too, honestly. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I do love Janeway and Tuvok walking to the hall and uh, in the corridor. And she says, like, I see the expression on your face. Like, I have no expression on my face. Brilliant. Just uh, such a perfectly Tuvok line. I love mm-hmm. it. And going into the brig, I love that shot. I wonder if this was Anson's decision or if this was a Marvin Rush thing. That staging of seven in the foreground, the brig wall, you know, the force field wall, and then Janeway in the background at full height. It was just a really nice looking shot. Like you didn't have to reinvent the wheel doing it, but it just Mm -hmm. looked so good. No, the, the blocking and framing of that mm-hmm. shot was, was spectacular. Yep. In that scene, I, I mean, I really loved, I'm going to say Jerry instead of Seven. I loved yeah. her soliloquy yes. about Janeway being hypocritical because Ugh. this is one of those, well, I'm going to say the entire episode are these prime examples of seeing Jerry Ryan, the actor, first and seeing the trappings of Seven of Nine second. Yeah, uh, man, that is so perfectly said. I, we could stop recording right now. Because, yes, I, I think that really nails it. I think that nails the specialness of this episode. But but do carry on. So we're going to transition over to Cass because there's mm-hmm. this nice scene when Cass and Neelix are having champagne. Moon ripened, uh, as moon, a matter of fact. Moon ripened. I, I have moon questions. Ripened. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Jennifer looks so good. I love that they're using her, her actual hair. Yes. Uh, yes. They have been since, I think, before and after. And she just looks fantastic in that scene. Yeah, um, yeah. Just so she didn't have to wear the ears all the time. But yeah, exactly. It's yeah. lovely. Yeah. I thought there was a great comedic timing with with Johnny in there. I think that <laughs> he, you know, he was doing what he needed to do to kind of like say goodbye without saying goodbye and yes. not belabor the point. Yes. Um, yeah. There's this line again with Cass when she says. I don't know what's happening to me, and that's what makes it all so exciting. If I can see into a place where the distinction between matter and energy and thought no longer exists. Now, this takes me all the way back to the next generation. In the Travelers episode where Picard is seeing his his mother in the tea set. Right. And then you're seeing all of that manipulated because it's the it's the collapsing of time and energy and matter. So 
specifically she says this. Yeah. Does that mean again? And I ask you, John, for the second time, <laughs> is this traveler level stuff? I got to wonder. I, I feel like uh, maybe, hopefully, somebody included that in a novel or something, because I, I like to think that's the case. Fanfic um, that, people. Fanfic yeah. that, exactly. In an episode with many great lines, love this bit of dialogue that the doctor has. The last we see of Cass may be her molecules blowing through the ventilation ducts. <laughs> Just great. <laughs> Just great. <laughs> And, and his it. line, right? This is the yeah. way that the doctor can say it. Yes. But he yes. also says something, a, a new word to the vocabulary, our mm-hmm. medical vocabulary on Voyager. Telesynaptic? Ooh, I like is it. Is that a new word? I think it is, but I love it. I okay. love it. Yeah. Let's I'm in for it. Keep now, that around. Mm-hmm. Now, I know this may be a stretch, yeah. but it's there. It's because the way I heard it. So Tuvok says, and hear it as he says it aloud. Okay. This is when he uh, says something about when Cass's body went into a state of cellular flux. Yeah. He says, 417.4 seconds. Oh. oh. 417. Mm-hmm. So doing you hear it. audibly the numbers four and seven. Because it could have been 16. And they right. could have just, yeah. Mm-hmm. So 417.4 no, mm-hmm. seconds. Mm-hmm. Just I could be reaching, but I'm not. Nope. And then again, uh, I'm, I, I can't reiterate this enough. Every single time you see, you know, seven in a soliloquy type scene, yeah. it is a masterclass of acting yeah. by Jerry Ryan. Fantastic. Absolutely. And all right, <laughs> as, as we get toward the end here, again, I have to ask the logic of Tuvok just jumping in. They, you know what? I'll mind meld this situation as he sees Cass and the corridor blowing up around them. Like, here, it was jumping. I, I can mind meld. I can calm her down. Oh, Tuvok, that's so cute of you. I was hoping, and maybe we might see this later, that she imparted maybe something onto him mm-hmm. at that time. You know, instead of like McCoy, you know, like when Spock said, remember, yeah, you know, to McCoy, yeah, yeah. Maybe this is like in the reverse. I was, I'm hoping that there's the case, but you know, I haven't seen far enough ahead, you know, to know. And I can't just give Jerry all the credit, you know, here for the, the, you know, these incredible acting performances. I mean, Kess's goodbye soliloquy. Yeah. I think that's some of Jennifer's best work. Yep. But I have to be honest, because I didn't see this in real time, and I knew exactly what was going to happen to Kess and when, yeah. because of conversations online, I just felt like I personally was robbed of that moment with sharing that moment with Janeway, saying goodbye. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. You know, I mean, it was very emotional, and yeah. it was very impactful, and it was, you know, very, you know, poignant. Yeah. But at the same time, though, I knew it was coming, so... I didn't feel it the way maybe people felt it back in, say, like 1997. Sure. Sure, of course. Right. Yeah, yeah. I do have to ask. I mean, look, like, look, you never turn down a gift. What is it? You never look a gift horse in the mouth, right? Okay, but, mm. but Kess's gift, I mean, it's 9,000 light years, but it really it's just fast warp drive for a little while. I mean, she couldn't summon up like a wormhole or something like that, and, and nobody turned into a salamander while they were on their really fast warp drive trip, may, I, you know, I would hope for a little more. Well, maybe that's beyond the threshold of her power. Oh, my God. I set you up and you knocked you it did? down. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. All right. <laughs> last thing here. Well, n- n- not the last thing, but for the doctor, my last thing. Doc, doctor, EMH, you are a hologram. You can't stimulate your own hair follicles. I feel certain you can. 
I feel like you can you, you could jump into The Sims right now and you could change your your look any way that you want to. I feel like surely you can do that for yourself. I brought up before and after earlier, and I'm pretty sure at the very beginning of before and after, mm-hmm. he gave himself hair. I think so. That's right. That's right. Yep. So mm-hmm. it's not like it can't be done. Exactly. Uh, speaking of the doctor, speaking of the doctor, isn't there just this huge scene that we're missing with Kess saying goodbye to her best friend on the ship? I know. I would. I, I better friends than with Neelix at this point. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Mm, Sorry. Too soon. No, not really. Sorry. Too soon. No. <laughs> and and just like the beginning of the show i still love the fact that the borg tech is on the ship i still love that they connected it from the beginning to the end yes where the plating is is still there i want it to stay i hope it stays because i love the idea that voyager changes over time and picks up the pieces that it needs i hope it sticks around let's talk about that last shot really lovely beautiful shot you know the the camera kind of moves down voyager's hull and you go like oh wow that's where tuvok lives and then that got worried because now we know exactly where tuvok lives where his quarters are and and he's got this really nice view but how many times is that spot going to get hit by enemy fire no cast bad cast we want the ship to go to war we don't want to warp the ship. It's a very important distinction. We'll get right back to the gift after a word from this week's sponsor, HelloFresh. Hey, Norman, mm-hmm. what is HelloFresh? Well, HelloFresh is uh, our sponsor, first of all. And second of all, HelloFresh, they offer you farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients from seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. So I like the sound of all of that. I do too, because yeah. what I do love doing is skipping trips to the grocery store, and HelloFresh <laughs> yes. allows me to do that because HelloFresh allows you to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable, and that's why it's America's number one meal kit. You know, I was just thinking about as you were saying that, and I, I don't love wandering through the grocery store for hours and hours. You know, not not that one trip takes hours and hours, but you do it several times a week and you just feel like, oh, I could be doing something else with my time. And, you know, I think about you see pictures and you hear stories about the old days of, oh, the, the milkman came by and dropped something off at your door or the baker like Helms Bakery in L.A. They dropped something off at your door and those Ooh, days are gone. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. But but now it's like we're getting back to that because we all appreciate the convenience and we realize that was a really good idea. I'll tell you what else is a really good idea. Hmm. HelloFresh gives you pre-portioned ingredients to help cut down on food waste. I hate wasting food. Mm-hmm. While step-by-step instructions make cooking a breeze, not a chore. That will encourage somebody like me to cook more at home. Now, right now, it is peak time for summer produce, let me tell you. And HelloFresh makes sure that you get all the best picks all season long. Their ingredients travel from the farm to your door in less than seven days for the quality that you can taste. And just because you would like to eat a lot this summer doesn't necessarily mean you have to eat badly this summer. So if you want to eat well, HelloFresh's menu also features calorie-smart and protein-smart lunch and dinner options. Plus, if you need it, you can have vegan dinner options to choose from. HelloFresh makes it easy to reach your food goals with flavorful recipes that leave you feeling satisfied. 
I love all of the ones that I've tried so far. I have always been satisfied and filled, and they are delicious and fantastic. That's why HelloFresh wants you to have it all, free time and fresh tasty food. That's why they take care of all the meal planning and deliver the ingredients so everything you need to whip up a delicious meal arrives right to your door. So when you need dinner fast, don't call out for delivery. Think HelloFresh. Their fast and fresh recipes are ready in just 15 minutes or less. Plus, HelloFresh is 25% cheaper than takeout. That is certainly no question there. And Norman, you mentioned the vegan and vegetarian options. I have Mm -hmm. to tell you, I loved what I got the last time around. I talked lovingly about those kind of Moroccan spice pork patties. Mm, So good. I am doing the vegetarian option now, and I cannot wait to report back about those recipes because yours looked so good as well. I'm doing that myself. So for more information, go to HelloFresh.com slash MissionLog50 and use code MissionLog50 for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash MissionLog50 and use code MissionLog50 for 50% off plus free shipping from America's number one meal kit. You know, John, one of the things that I wasn't prepared for after the epic two-parter, Scorpion Part 1 and 2, was to actually have something titled The Gift, but it's kind of Scorpion Part 3. Wouldn't you say? It kind of, yeah. Well, and Seven really makes reference to that, that her nature cannot change. Mm -hmm. So we're tying exactly back to that. And I think, see, in my head... Because you had mentioned before that Scorpion 1 and 2 felt like Voyager's best of both worlds, 1 and 2. I see where you're going with this. uh, Yes. Okay. And what was the episode that followed that? It was family. Family. It it was the time that you stop, you decompress, you deal with the trauma, you deal with uh, uh, the the human impact Mm -hmm. of all of this. And I think we got that here as well. It's brilliant. But I also yeah, but I also think though that like you had to have an episode like this partly because you have to drive along the story of what happens to these characters, but you have to give everybody this chance to like really take stock mm-hmm. of what just happened and what this means. But I do really like that that uh that the thematic uh part of Scorpion came back here. Yeah. About yeah. Can you change? Is it nature or nurture? Yeah. And I like how it's starting to kind of cool down, you know, obviously, like the major changes that were happening in Scorpion Part 2, especially with Seven, and now the kind of the the disembarking of Jennifer Leon as Kess, you know, from mm. the series. But there is something that I found interesting looking at Janeway's attitude between Kess and Seven uh, as their characters are kind of like parallel in a little bit of mm. of their stories, you know, in The Gift, there's a certain leniency and patience and understanding that Janeway gives Kess, and she has maybe over the course of time in that moments, or those moments have been earned. And there is this hardline stance that she gives Seven, forcing Seven to change in a certain mm. way, with Janeway's kind of oversight and kind of like her authority over her. Um, yeah. I'm going to quote these two sections from the episode, and they're pretty much at opposite or almost at opposite ends of the episode. So yeah. earlier when Cass says, 
uh, that she's choosing to leave. Kes says, it's my decision, my fate. Would you really try to stop me? And Janeway says, no, but argue with you, even plead with you to consider, absolutely, for as long as it takes. There is a such, uh, again, this wonderful relationship that they've earned over time. But it's in, in this wonderful contrast and an interesting contrast with how she approaches Seven. Janeway says, I'm just giving back what was stolen from you, the existence you were denied, the child who never had a chance. That life is yours to live now. And Seven says, I don't want that life. And Janeway says, it's what you are. Don't resist it. And I feel like with Kess, she's <laughs> giving her the grace of that change. And with Seven, she's imposing her will on that change. Yeah. And maybe it's because Kess has earned that. But I find that Janeway's attitude between the two is very polarizing. Well, uh, yeah. And I think what we have to deal with here is the two very strong motivating factors uh, or, or I guess uh, not not necessarily motivations, but the the opposite ends that uh, that Janeway is approaching this. So on the one hand, Janeway is setting herself up as the one who gets to decide when Cass or when Seven has had enough of Janeway's tutelage and is mature enough, rational enough to go off into the universe on their own. And there's something really weird about that. There's something really strange about, particularly for two people who are not Starfleet, who uh, didn't grow up in that hierarchy, for Janeway to just come along and say like, oh, okay, well, yes, I I can accept, I don't like it, but I'm allowing you to go. There's something very odd about that compared to her attitude towards Seven, which is you can't because I say so because of this. However, however, here's the other thing happening in Janeway's mind. If she doesn't let Kess go, that damages Voyager. True. If she lets Seven go, that damages Voyager. Also true. Yes. <laughs> so, so it's really interesting to see that that one factor, okay, at what point, do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one mm-hmm. drive completely different courses of action? And and I have to think that, you know, because we've gotten some email and uh, some Patreon messages about this as well saying, okay, we, we have to think that Janeway's driving motivation for everything is how to protect the ship. Because we've taken her to task on decisions she's made, but always in the back of her mind is, how do I protect the ship? How do I protect the crew? Then once you have that as part of your motivation, well, you may also make bad decisions. You may be a bit foolhardy. You may take actions that are dangerous, (laughs) but, but we have to think that that is the prime thing that is on her mind. The prime directive, so to speak. Her prime directive, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I, I, you know, look, this is going to be really the main thing that comes down in this episode when it comes to Seven's journey, which is do we, we meaning all of us, but really typified by Janeway here, do we have the right to upend a being, any being of any sort, their life, the, the only life that they've known? Seven has been taken away from the collective, but that's what's best for Voyager. Now, 
you can make excuses and say like, well, yeah, but she was trying to assimilate Voyager at that moment that Chakotay established the link. Then the link got damaged or destroyed. This wasn't a thing that we could resolve anyway. So now we're at this position, given the actions, reactions, and kind of accidents that have happened along the way. I have to think of this that, again, the needs of the many, meaning the Voyager crew, they outweigh the needs of the one in this case, which is Seven of Nine. Mm -hmm. But I can't even begin to imagine how traumatic this must be uh, to be taken away from the only life you've known for 18 years. It's, It's unimaginable. And I like that Janeway has some recognition of that some empathy for that but at the same time Janeway is not budging at all from what her goals are I feel what you're saying is almost kind of like a representation of you pushing this apple cart towards me the apple box (laughs) and then saying here (laughs) now share my share your notes I um there's something very very interesting at the core of all this and I want to make sure that I'm you know, replying with the sensitivity I think it deserves because I am going to get on that soapbox. Thank you, John. And I am, I hope that the audience can indulge me because I am going to go a little verbatim in my notes because I really carefully crafted these to make sure that I'm not being insensitive to anything as far as I can help myself. So I believe what you're maybe alluding to is the imposition of the captain's will by the captain's discretion. Let's go all the way back to the first conversation she had with Chakotay. Chakotay says, so she was raised by the Borg. It's the only life she ever really knew. If you were thinking of bringing her into the fold, that might not be possible. And Janeway says, what's the alternative? Toss her back to the wolves? Wolves mm-hmm. to Janeway. Wolves mm-hmm. to Janeway. Family yeah. and belonging to Seven at this point in time. What she yeah. knows. So what gives Janeway the right to impose her wish and her will to reform Seven, aside from Janeway having the rank on a starship to do so. Again, this goes all the way back to these conversations she's had with Chakotay, imposing the captain's will over the possible options of her executive officer's concerns. Now let's go to a few scenes afterwards, and this is what Janeway says to the doctor. This is no ordinary patient. She may have been raised by the Borg, raised to think like a Borg, but she's with us now. And underneath all that technology, she is a human, a human being, whether she's ready to accept that or not. And until she's ready, (laughs) right? The words are very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And until she's ready, someone has to make the decisions for her, proceed with the surgery. By this example, isn't Janeway forcing what she wants over what Seven wants and whose best interest is being represented here? Yeah. And one last example, John, but one last example before, please, before I turn this over to you. Yeah. Finally, in the Brig scene, towards the end, Seven says, you are forcing that identity upon me. It's not mine. And Janeway says, oh, yes, it is. I'm just yeah. giving you back what was stolen from you. The existence you were denied, the child who never had a chance, that life is yours to live now. Seven says, I don't want that life. And Janeway says, it's what you are. Don't resist it. So is Janeway... Right? Or is she straddling this line between not being just a captain of the ship, but also embracing a god complex on this ship? Because there's a lot of her decision making that borderlines the absolute, that rank makes right, 
And not just in this episode, but in Scorpion 1 and 2 as well. And I've made mention of that. Yeah. So that's... Well, here, I'm it, pushing that soapbox away. It's, it's okay. dangerous. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> well, well, here's what I think is so interesting, is that by the time this episode comes along, we as Star Trek watchers have a lot of history with the Borg, and we know how horrible that is to us. And, and by us, I'm just going to say humans in Starfleet at this point, because we've seen the Battle of Wolf 359. And we're just kind of looking at it from our human perspective and the value that we have on individuality, right? Mm -hmm. Not going to speak for other species at this point. I can barely speak for my own. (laughs) Um, But so we are primed with this value of that individuality, of that freedom that in the words of Kirk, looking at the poor feeders of Vol and the apple can go in and completely pull the carpet out from under their society and say, it's called freedom, you'll like it, bye. And then we have no idea what happens on that planet afterward, right? We, we want to sort of clap and roll credits and think it'll all be okay. Right. All right. Now, we've raised the stakes with this thing called the Borg that is so much more horrific to our point of view. All right. But I love what this episode does it, is it, it really through Seven's eyes and through her experience gives you a kind of sympathy for her and her experience that I think we've rarely ever had before, except in Unity. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where Brandon is really brilliant to say, wow, what I saw in Unity made me want more of that. Yes. In, in Star Trek. Okay. Janeway says, You are part of a vast consciousness, billions of minds working together, a harmony of purpose and thought, no indecision, no doubts. And that sounds like a human dream. That sounds like an ideal to be connected and to not have doubt and to not have indecision. Like that sounds like a thing that we want to have that kind of closeness. Now, again, take that away from the dark dour biomechanical nightmare that is the Borg identity, right? This just think about it on a purely abstract term. To have those things, that is something that one would want. And if one is raised for 18 years in that, then the majority of this person's life, you would think that they would want nothing but to get back to that. We saw the sort of the peaceful side of that in Unity. And I started to think about, okay, what are the parallels here? How do we make that a, an, an even more human experience? Because a, as humans, we, we look for that. And then we can get trapped by the people and by the institutions that exploit those desires and, and the insecurities that we have. So people, humans, look to be part of something bigger than themselves. They join clubs, they join organizations, they get pulled into belief systems and sadly cults mm-hmm. then that offer all of the answers and what, uh, what Janeway said, the unity of thought guided by purpose, by, by that similar unifying purpose. And sometimes those things really work to change the world. And sometimes they really do provide personal satisfaction. But so often they swallow the individual and they can be manipulated. The individual and the institution can be manipulated to to work for the worst possible outcome. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I mentioned it before on a show, uh, listening to a, a philosopher who was talking about, and he's kind of coming at it from an economic point of view, saying that really there has to be an attempt to balance the things that are collectives working, but in a competitive environment in order to constantly better themselves as opposed to a single top-down authoritarian collective because of those do breed stagnation versus the other extreme, which is every person for themselves just working to get what they can get to benefit themselves. You're actually best off when you have many multiple smaller collectives that can then engage in a kind of friendly competition. But I, I love how this episode just absolutely makes you it did to me anyway and it sounds like it certainly did to you get on the side of seven here and we may feel deep down that we want those human attributes of individuality and freedom but something about jane wade's words feel really cold and manipulative she says jane wade i'm sorry seven says it you are hypocritical and manipulative and and that's what that scene is all about. It, it, it's pretty intense. Because it's a brilliantly freedom, written it, scene. It, it really is. It really, because think about it. You know, freedom in this context, it, it has a price. Buckle and, five. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You're right. I like that. Uh, and, and, and lack of choice here is the biggest threat of all. Seven is a living, breathing, intelligent being who at a point, wants more to be a part of her collective than to be forced into the family that Janeway is carving out for her. I, I know that there's a security issue at stake with, with Voyager, but as comes down to what we have just discussed, does Seven not get a say in this the way that Kess does? Is there an alternative? I, I, I'm trying to determine if there is. We're not in Janeway's shoes here. But is there a better way to do this? And I think the sticking point here is is Seven's humanity. Because what would have happened if the Borg that ended up being the solo Borg that uh, modified the deflector dish, you know, penetrated, mm. you know, uh, 8472 space, forced them, did everything that Seven did because she was the one last Borg that survived uh, Chakotay's yeah. airlocking of them all. Yeah. yeah. What if she wasn't human? Because oh, I think that really this yeah. is the point yeah. that, that we're focusing on with Janeway's decision. It's, or does Janeway have some type of savior complex for the humans underneath her responsibility or underneath her command? In this case, seven now. Mm. So I'm going to go all the way back to Scorpion Point Two, uh, Part Two. Okay. So Janeway says to Seven when they are trying to, uh, you know, create the the technology to defeat, you know, the uh, the bio ships. She says, "You're human, aren't you?" And Seven said, "This body was assimilated 18 years ago. It ceased to be human at that time." Okay, mm. so there was a point where Seven dismisses that, but Jane was trying to make a connection. And in this episode, Janeway says, "You're not alone." I'm willing to help you. Seven says, if that's true, you won't do this to me. Take me back to my own kind. Janeway says, you are with your own kind. Humans. So the big question is, up until this episode, the Borg were just the means to justify Janeway's ends to doing what she did to defeat 8472 and get through Borg space. 
So why didn't she just airlock seven when she was done with that? Get rid of the Borg technology, get rid of everything mm. that she employed, break the alliance that they had, and not suffer the possible scorpion treachery that seven also did in this episode. Why did she focus on seven's humanity as such? Hmm. Because if that other Borg wasn't seven and was a different species, would Janeway have cared at the end? Uh, Right, right. Perhaps that, or perhaps, again, if it wasn't a Borg that we had collaborated with for that long, mm-hmm. or if the collaboration had not gone as well, there are any number of factors here that then influence Janeway's decision. Um, because she wouldn't have gone back to the records. She wouldn't have found Annika Hansen. She wouldn't have gone back to right, why she was abducted right. by the Borg. It would have been Species 543. And yeah. who cares? Yeah. Right. I'm going to defend Janeway here for just one second. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, I, I think there are many ways to defend Janeway's decision here. But I think we're really focused on the the rights of the individual here, which, again, <laughs> Seven makes the perfect point about Janeway's hypocrisy. Seven says you're no different from the Borg, no, no different than the Borg, except I, I want to say there's one way that Janeway is different than the Borg. And it takes it takes a bit of understanding and maybe a little coaxing and cajoling and trying to align with Seven here about this one thing. Janeway asks Seven to not contact the collective, right? Okay. She's already tried it once. She, you know, broke that rule. Okay. Now we're going to ask you again. All right. But. Janeway also says that she would give Seven the freedom to do that again. Can't do it right now. Can't can't do it until we are safe, until we've gotten our needs taken care of. You are the guest here. <laughs> You're on our ship, right? But we will give you that freedom to do that. As far as I know, there is no Borg situation, no Borg cube, no Borg collective that has said to any of the species that it has assimilated at any point, hey, we're going to assimilate you for a while, but then at some point we will let you go, we will let you make the choice to going back and doing the thing you want to do. We'll have Borg Rumspringa <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you can go and you just go be the person that you want to be. As far as I know, the Borg have not done that. Now, look, you can make an argument against what I'm saying that at the same time, you know, like I've brought up the cult metaphor here. Cults also share a kind of false choice, which is, oh, sure, sure. You you can walk away anytime you want, but we're the only ones who will love and understand you. Everyone else is cruel. The, the other worlds are false. The other beliefs are false. So we're ultimately what you will come back to. Mm-hmm. So I want to give Janeway just like a little bit of credit here for at least doing that, or at least allowing that. The question is, how much of Seven will get assimilated into the Voyager crew before that happens? And Norman, I want to footnote something here, and it really is just a footnote because I do not feel qualified to talk and any sort of authoritative or deeply intelligent way about this. Uh, But you brought up a really key word here about Seven's journey, and that is identity. Mm 
and that is an outside force or an outside collective deciding what Seven's identity was and what it should be. And I think now, in 2023, discussing this episode, compared to 1997 discussing that episode, those are very different things. Because we're living in a social and political culture where identity is very much being kicked around as a political football, dealing with people's lives, their actual lives. And people without that lived experience saying, no, no, I know who you really are and what's best for you. You just need to do what something says on the birth certificate, or you just need to do something that I identify your biology being that makes me comfortable, regardless how it makes you feel, regardless how you see yourself. I'm just going to leave that out there because I think there are people far smarter than me to carry on that conversation. I'm sure that friends of the show like Jesse Earl have already done that. <laughs> so go to it. But I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't drop that into uh, to this part of the show. Hey, you with the pretty face. Welcome to the human race. Things would have gone much more smoothly if someone played Mr. Blue Sky for seven in the bridge. One of the things that we do at the end of this episode is we give a gift to one another. John and I give a gift <laughs> to one another. We give the gift of our final analysis, yes. and that's where we are. This is what we do in Mission Log. We come to the end of the episode. We have a final analysis of, first, whether or not this episode withstand the tests of time or if it holds up over the course of so many years. And then at the very end, your gift and your welcome <laughs> is the gift of... Did we find any morals, meanings, or messages as we do uh, in the purview of Roddenberry and Mission Log? So, John, the gift, here we are. Or, like I said before earlier, Scorpion Part 3. I know, right? And look, the gift mm -hmm. that the audience gives to us is that they write to us and say, you're right, or you're wrong, or mm -hmm. here's another perspective. That's what I like exactly. to hear. Yeah. Does the episode hold up? Look, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Jerry is magnificent. In this, for somebody who was not super experienced as an actor coming into this, but she had the right education, uh, you know, doing the theater department at Northwestern, she is just fantastic plumbing the depths of this character. I, I commented last week how I thought she was very good, but I also felt like they hadn't really found the character yet and why this Borg was behaving the way that she was. I, I couldn't quite settle on the tone th that S Seven was introduced to us with, you know. But in this, they searched those depths for the pain in Seven's past and the current situation, and it has played out dramatically and so beautifully here. There was also something so innocent and lovely in Seven remembering her favorite color as Annika and the, the reconnection to childhood on any level is just crucial for understanding who we were and who we are. That little glimpse, that little hint was beautiful. If there is an unevenness here, it's that the story of Seven of Nine is so specific and so emotional where the story of Kess is, I feel like, kind of a vague afterthought. It's like, oh, look, she's evolving into an energy being. By the way, that's a convenient way to get her off the show. 
not a slight to Jennifer Lean at all, who I agree with you. She does some of her best work here. But you and I both wanted more out of that story. And it just felt easy, like, eh, she, she's something else. We don't understand. It's mysterious. Bye. But overall, overall, the, the interconnectedness of those personal stories has played out so well. And, and I can't help but appreciate this episode for its deep characters, as well as the action and the sci-fi what-ifs. Plus, we get real ethical, personal dilemmas to chew on. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Well, I have a question for yeah, you, and I, I think yeah. it goes to uh, Jerry's performance. I'm mm-hmm. wondering if they gave her a note with a little bit of Annika Hansen's backstory. Mm. Was Annika Hansen, as a child, defiant? Oh, interesting. Interesting. And now that defiant is surfacing, the further away she is disconnected from the collective. Because 18 years in the collective, she is also emotionally stunted as well, in, in many ways. You know, she's just been a cog because in a they, machine. Yeah. They did make mention that her parents were mm. they had a different way of doing yeah things, they, they, they were they were a little foolish a little they didn't say foolish abstract. but i said a little abstract yeah they just they, they decided to do things their own way which was probably dangerous yeah or defiant oh <laughs> nice <laughs> right? yeah. so i'm just wondering if that was a layer or a note yeah, that they gave maybe. to jerry to inform her performance but mm. no i mean i agree there's so much to like in this episode and i think it does hold up, if for anything, as like a coda to Scorpion, mm-hmm. because there are these wonderful continuations of certain things. Obviously, kind of like the the devolution and then re-evolution, mm-hmm. if you want to, for lack of a better term, of Seven uh, shedding her Borg exterior and kind of turning into this different character. But that only really works if it comes from Scorpion Part 2. So Voyager, in this sense, does one thing that was very surprising, and it doesn't hit the reset button. I'm like, in any aspect of where we've seen the reset button used before, right. you see the scarring on Voyager, you see the scarring on the characters, right. and you see that continuation of how these characters are affected by the events that happened in Scorpion 1 and 2. So I think that that is one of the first, even if it's softer, one of the first versions of really true serialization that I've seen on this show, and I think it works incredibly well. And I agree with you also. I think my biggest issue in this episode is you're seeing this obvious farewell to Kess and Jennifer Lena because they basically pigeonhole this storyline and saying, follow this because we have to say goodbye. And there's not a lot of nuance in that. It's just, oh, look, she's glowing and she's glowing more and she's glowing more and she disappears. So and I think that they only really invented it this way so that she could stop Seven's treachery. There's no way that they could stop a singular Borg from doing a Borg thing. So what are we going to do? We're going to take a page out of cold fire, ramp up Kess's telekinesis, telepathic abilities, and basically you have deus Kess machina. That's that's a good phrase, yes. (laughs) That's our album for today. Deus Machina. Deus Machina. But it's telegraphed. Yeah. You know it's Mm -hmm. coming. Yeah. And again, the gift to Voyager at the end, so many different ways. If she had that kind of power, she could have snapped her fingers and like say like Q did and return Voyager to the Alpha Quadrant. Not maybe not necessarily or closer to. Right. Right. Or open up a wormhole, see where it takes them next. So you have that kind of unevenness that's going on in the episode. I still think and I love that the scorpion and the frog theme is still here. Mm-hmm. It resonates just as strongly when Seven tries to establish you know, communication with the collective. 
and the trust that Janeway puts in her at the end. Are you going to stab me again? Right? Are you going to do that? Yeah. And we'll see where that takes us. So I really do think that, you know, this is a wonderful trilogy of episodes. Uh, you did bring up family at the end, like the best of both worlds and family to bring us to that personal note. And I think that this does the exact same thing in its own way and think very effectively. Yeah. Well, look, uh, morals, meanings, messages. I, I'm actually I'm going to lean back to this side where I'm not necessarily defending Janeway, but I'm trying to get into her head a bit and sympathize a bit with her decisions because the ramifications are similar for both of the characters that then are the object or, and the, the, the focus of her decisions. This is an episode about massive transformation and it, it's scary, profound, life-altering changes for two people. Kess and Seven. And neither of them has any choice, there's that word, (laughs) but to go through it. They have to face the fears, and they have to hope to emerge on the other side stronger, better, at least different somehow. Those scenes of Seven in the brig, facing the reality that she is one now, are so human. It it is such a human experience in so many ways. So take away the sci-fi trappings, take away the mechanical Borg collective. We, as humans, in her experience, we go from one school to another when we are kids. We trade one circle of friends for another. Our families take different forms over time. And at some point, those little collectives that define us can't be the totality of who we are. We have to do the always complex, daunting, sometimes painful, terrifying thing of defining ourselves on our own terms. And in this episode, Kess does that. Seven of Nine is taking the very first step to do that scary, painful thing. One of the things I want to preface before I get to um, what I discovered in this episode, John, you said it so eloquently at the end of our discussion, uh, and I know that you didn't, you know, we don't scroll all the way down or read our own notes, mm-hmm. you know, to see where we are in this discussion, and I landed on something very similar to what you said oh. at the end of discussion, and I came up with, I'm not sure if it's a moral meaning or message, but an observation, mm-hmm. and it's the illusion of choice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quote Seven. Seven says, if at that time... We choose to return to the collective. Will you permit it? Janeway says, I don't think you'll want to do that. Seven says, you would deny us the choice as you deny us now. You have imprisoned us in the name of humanity, yet you will not grant us your most cherished human right to choose our own fate. You are hypocritical, manipulative. We do not want to be what you are. Return us to the collective. Mm. So the question is, how can Seven trust Janeway when at nearly every turn in this episode, Janeway proves that Seven's only choices are the ones that have been manufactured for her so that Seven will eventually come to Janeway's desire for her to be what she wants, mm. not what Seven wants. This is the point of this whole episode. This is the struggle right now for so many, and it is gut-wrenching to watch the erosion of personal rights and protections being dismantled in real time. What we have now is the illusion of choice, or truth, or hope. 
How can those whose lives depend on trusting their voices of authority move forward knowing that the issues governing their lifestyles and life choices are being reduced to nothing more than political pieces on a chessboard? Once again, in this episode, Star Trek is doing what it does best, presenting its allegorical story through the plight of an alien character in order to reflect both the nobility and more so in this case, the depravity of the socio-political dynamic of our time. It's fascinating that an episode that was first shown nearly 26 years ago is so relevant today. And I'd like to end with perhaps, um, what, well, it's one of my favorite songs from Metallica, and perhaps they have the answer from their lyrics in Eye of the Holder from the album Injustice for All. Do you need what I need? Boundaries overthrown. Look inside to each his own. Do you trust what I trust? Me, myself, and I penetrate the smokescreen. I see through the selfish lie. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Day of Honor. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. Has the captain violated Seven's human rights? I don't know, I'm a computer but the end-user license agreement has probably been violated, and her warranty is now void. End transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.